You're listening to the Water in Real Life podcast, the podcast for people who want to become better leaders by becoming better communicators. Why? Because those who tell the stories rule the world. We're your hosts, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We are so excited today to be speaking with Doug Keeker. Doug is the steward of Viveic's learning solution model, which defines Viveic's unique approach to helping organizations use learning as a key strategy to advance their mission. In this role, he provides leadership to Viveic's team as they work to apply their knowledge of learning and development to help build others' capacity to do good in the world. He is also a proclaimed full-time learning nerd, part-time adventure seeker, and all-around fun haver. So on brand for Rogue Water Lab and the Water Mill yes. podcast. So yes. Doug, so excited to be having this conversation with you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I'm for officially, to- oh, I was just gonna say I'm officially changing my bio now. I want to be a fun haver and adventure <laughs> I yes, I think you yes. should. And for like time sake, I didn't read the full thing. It'll be on our website, but I, I did want to point out that Doug also has your love for the ag world and experience there as well, Ariane. So right. You, you guys could nerd out about that a little bit at the end. <laughs> oh, cool. I didn't realize that we had that in common. Oh, yes. Oh, well, yeah. there we go. <laughs> so Doug is actually Tobin Redwine's boss. For, our, for all of you that are Tobin fans, Tobin Redwine has been a podcast guest and a Catalyst speaker. And so for any um, complaints on Tobin, just give them to Doug and he'll take care of it. There you go. <laughs> Yes, I've got uh, one. I'm going to make a, a complaint here in a minute. Okay, right. okay good. Uh, I, I'll file them away. Thank you. <laughs> His folder is getting really big. Gosh, oh, I, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Um, well, we're super pumped to have you here. We're really excited about um, just what we've learned about Viveic so far. I mean, you're so passionate about learning that you started a company centered around the work you love. And we love that because ditto. Uh, how do educators quote unquote, build others capacity to do good in the world as it states in your mission? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I think at the part at the heart of it all is just a belief that all people have the ability to grow and learn and, you know, making assumptions that, you know, assuming good um, about all people like that's kind of like the root of, of all of it um, is being kind of that teacher at heart. I, I was trained as a teacher, as a classroom teacher, and I find that, you know, working with adult learners is um, very similar in some respects uh, to, to the work that we do in, in our classrooms. They still spit, spit wads and... Yes, actually, adult learners can <laughs> tend to be a little bit more cantankerous. It's, it's a bit more like herding cats, to nice. be real honest. Yes. <laughs> Everybody listening is nodding in agreement with you right now, virtually. So <laughs> They're already like, that. preach. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I, I probably put the cart before the horse a little bit, but why don't you just give us like an elevator pitch on Viveic and, and what you guys do? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so we uh, design learning solutions and that can look like uh, upfront consulting and strategy. So a lot of times uh, our partners will come to us with a question like, 
hey, you know, we've got five different learning management systems and we've got 8,000 employees and we're, we don't really have any clear picture of what learning and development needs to look like at our organization or at least a cohesive, coherent picture of that. So we'll help them think through and do some strategy around, you know, come up with an actual strategic plan around how do they, you know, get to where they want to be um, from where they're at today. Um, second, is, you know, a lot of times our partners will come to us with the question of like, hey, we've got, we need to do a better job with onboarding our employees. Mm. Uh, and we need them to, you know, be up to speed and performing in their role a lot faster. And so we'll help them design a program or a curriculum that will help to, um, to address that specific need. And then sometimes we just get to know um, really cool organizations by, you know, the fact that they're like, hey, I, we need some help building out some lesson plans for mm -hmm. educators because we want to, you know, um, help them uh, really teach agriculture, as an example, in the context of math or science or, you know, uh, English language arts. So our work does, uh, you know, cross the gamut of both uh, corporate work as well as educational work. Yeah. Nice. And everything you said really is 100% relevant to our audience. Um, Ariane and I were both public communicators and educators. Yeah. We say that a lot, but unless you're in the sector, that may not mean anything because we were kind of tasked with doing both the marketing communication side, but also the public education side. And I think what we mentioned in our original, in our initial conversation was that when you're a public educator for a municipality, you're your audience is everyone. And so like finding yeah. ways to target each of those and break those down is so important to us. And for a lot of us, we're, we're I mean, for most of us, we're informal educators. Like there's mm -hmm. certainly a number of, of educators in our sector who come with that um, formal teaching background. But a lot of us were environmental science majors or science majors who, mm -hmm. you know, people are like, oh, you guys know stuff and you have a good personality. So go teach people about this. And so we're just kind of, thrown to the wolves mildly, even though we love being mm -hmm. with the wolves. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge overlap, I think, between just effective communication principles and teaching and learning. Um, you know, I think that teaching and learning kind of spans into being really putting some method, um, a mm -hmm. little bit of, of method uh, behind like, how do you, how do you you know, unlock somebody's um, mental potential and, and such. Um, but you have to have the supporting skills of like communicating your effect, your message effectively and being able to tell a story and, and really engage people like those, they're complimentary. Yeah. And then also creating promotion marketing around the program that you create. So people know that it actually exists. Yeah, they'll come exactly. or they'll attend or they'll participate. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. there's one thing that I've learned, uh, the uh, you build it and they will come mentality is just not, that does not work. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and no. we are, per I mean, guilty as charged that yeah. a lot of the things that I call out, like almost 99% of the things that we call out in our industry, we call out because we did them or we were yes. guilty of them or yes. we like fell in the same, yes. um, same potholes, pitfalls. I don't know yeah. what word I was going for there, but so we get it. And that's why we do that. And that's why we find the experts like you to help us kind of learn how to do it better. So yeah, Quit trying to reinvent the wheel when you've already got it, you know, they've got a nice wheel already. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
Um, so our organizations, they have a shared love for building clarity. And in our introductory conversation with you, mm-hmm. you mentioned clarity maps. Mm. Talk to us about some of the common pitfalls and how something like a clarity map can help. And what is a clarity map? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I wish I could say that we had them from the very beginning, but we didn't. Um, it was through a lot of trial and error and lessons learned and some of those pitfalls uh, falling into the pit and uh, climbing your way back out that we came up with this idea. Um, you know, I mean, we always have had the best practice of like, let's do a kickoff meeting, make sure everybody's aligned. But a lot of times it was just around the logistics of, you know, what's the timeline, make sure we know who the contacts are and such. Um, and so a few years ago, as we really kind of honed in and thought about like, well, what has been the recipe for success with a lot of our projects? You know, the, the best projects always had a more extended, and it doesn't have to be like extended in terms of months, but like a, a longer period where we actually spent more time really getting to know the organization, the learners, the um, success metrics, um, you know, how they'll judge success. And then even just like really digging into like how the solution that we propose actually is going to fit within the organization because we don't offer off the shelf stuff like everything is going to live in a context. And so we kind of need to make sure that like we can, uh, it's like transplanting a plant. You got to make sure that the roots will take hold and, you know, that what you built will actually grow and, and thrive in that new context. And so we uh, we started this process or this practice of having what we call clarity workshops. Um, so if it's a, you know, we're working with a brand new partner or we're working even with just a, a new kind of problem within an organization, we'll, we'll start out by having a, a couple of dedicated sessions where we bring everybody who's involved around the table and we just ask a ton of questions and do a lot of listening. Um, and it's really centered around those four things like the business need, what problem are we really trying to solve? Because there's the external problem. We need a training. We need people to be onboarded. But there's also like a lot of internal kind of considerations. And yeah. often there's hurdles that we're, we we need to be aware of. Like, gosh, we don't have really great systems. People hate going to the learning management system to try to access their learning. Or, you know, people, you know, we just had, uh, you know, a pandemic and people can't travel, you know. and so they really understanding what are the actual underlying problems is so critical. And then the second piece is really then understanding who are the learners and what makes them tick. Um, And we really like to focus in on like, what are their pain points um, as they access and and engage in learning? And then more importantly, like what motivates them? You know, what, what will get them excited about the program uh, that we are, we're proposing to build. Um, and then, you know, we really do hone in on like, what are our, how will we be, how will success be judged at the end of the day? You know, will we, um, you know, how will we measure success? Is that going to be, is it just the number of people who log in and complete this? Um, I always encourage people to think a little bit beyond just the reach, but you know, like are people actually learning and does it translate to their workplace? Um, and then thinking about, like I said, the, how's this solution going to live in the context? Um, you know, those are all questions that we're asking. And then the clarity map became a tool that we use where we just summarize everything that we've learned 
Um, and we use that as a touchstone then throughout the project. So it's a one page, simple four quadrant summary of those four areas, the business need, the learners, the solution architecture and the success metrics. And uh, we have that in every document um, that uh, com goes out that's related to, you know, um, building out the, as we build together with the, the client. And it just really provides a really great touchstone to make sure we never lose sight of what our original goal was and the problem we're trying to solve and who we're actually building this for. I love that. Um, I, I for, so much for everyone, I know for everyone who's <laughs> listening, you know, you might think, cool. Like if you're a, to me, if you're a vendor or you're a, you're an agency, a private um, company and you're working for the utilities, um, you, you probably have some kind of form of this um, already, but mm -hmm. if you are, when you were talking about this, this light bulb moment came to me, like how helpful this would be if you're working inside the utility mm -hmm. um, when we're facing, you know, projects that are decades long mm -hmm. um, sometimes and uh, change over staff, you know, sometimes utilities change over staff. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, but um, having this kind of tool that keeps you focused and just a one pager is mm -hmm. so great. We don't do enough one pagers out in the world. Yeah. Uh, we don't need 37, just a one pager to keep our focus and remind ourselves, you know, why we're here and who we're here for. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah I it took really, like a full like, post-it note of notes about what you just said. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it it's really, a great model to use. Mm -hmm. And it became kind of a, a way to prevent the game of telephone, I think, yes. in our organization. Yes. Um, and both in our partnership, because we spend a lot of time just interacting and building together with the with our partners that we work with. And, you know, um, as any new person is added to the project, it just becomes one more opportunity for some of those important, like, mm -hmm. big picture details to get lost um, in translation. And so... Um, it really does help to to keep everybody on the same page. And you're right. It does not have to be like, it's a one page. You don't even need to have a, a fancy template, like literally some bolded headings would be really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Or post-it notes on a whiteboard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's number one. I think that's just a great model to use for any project that you're on to have yeah. clarity uh, across time and people and all of that. But I think to Ariane's point, you know, for us, we call them discovery workshops. And mm -hmm. so I think that as utilities begin to outsource more to communications or marketing or learning system agencies to be prepared to have those kind of workshops and discussions, because it's so important for a service or something that's more subjective to, for us to get in a room with you and really just ask you bombard you with questions and just let us sit and listen. Mm -hmm. um, it's so important. And to your point, it also helps us get more aligned with what success really looks like to you and the metrics that really matter most to you. And then we can see how those align with things that we consider best practice within our own areas of expertise. And this gonna, is going to sound like I'm complaining a little because I'm not, because I know that there's a long, there's a lot of work to be done and, and a lot of conversations that can happen around fixing like the RF, the request for proposal or qualifications process within, um, within government, um, because a lot of those things that we really need and those questions we really need to ask in order to have a 
clear assessment of what you need. And of course the associated cost with that comes from the questions that we have to ask during that discovery, which we don't get to do during that process. And so um, that's not saying that I'm not like complaining for us or whatever, but I just kind of want to create that clarity around there's so much more information that we need from you. And so what we offer you is like our best guess, but um, you know, to be open and willing and understanding of those conversations that we need to have after, you know, should, after whatever's rewarded um, to build that clarity. And maybe there's in the future, a better way that we can kind of um, I've really appreciated the utilities that have kind of reached out and done their own kind of research to help them build yeah. their scope and things yeah. like that first. Very helpful. And that's for really helpful us. for us because yeah. the more clear you can be on the deliverable you're asking, the better we can offer you what it is that's really going to fit your needs. So that's my RFP soapbox for the there day. You go. Um, <laughs> I preach about RFPs. I, I'm here for that content all day. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to add um, another bonus to these clarity, um, you know, documents or templates are for the the higher ups who may be not understanding what you're doing, mm. especially those of us in that public education communication role. Um, these things can help you, you know. Here, this is what I, this is what we're focused on. This is what right. we're doing. Here's a one-page summary type of thing. Yeah. So I, I, there's just so many benefits to to having that kind of template or that kind of process in place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. And to your point, Stephanie, too, just um, because of our, you know, the today's procurement systems and practices, uh, and how they can sometimes prohibit the exchange of information that is so critical to getting a, you know, a high quality, you know, proposal put together to actually meet the problem, not just like produce Mm -hmm. something that's going to check the box. Um, But like even going through that exercise internally and then having that information available in the RFP to be able, so that when you do the, um, you know, when you do the question period, which is pretty, pretty common, like that at least the at least the people, the interested parties get to get a chance to like read your initial thoughts and ask maybe some additional probing questions mm-hmm. like during that process so that, you know, we can at least get closer to the mark. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I say that because I just, um, I know it can be frustrating on, on both sides of yeah. you know them not feeling sure. like they're getting what they need. And then, you know, us feeling like we don't understand what they need. And so I just, um, I just want to, it's kind of my goal right now to build clarity <laughs> around that and, and to help them be successful in it. Cause mm-hmm. ultimately we're preaching for utilities to do more communication and to yeah. utilize people that are, have that expertise and to do more education and people who have that expertise. But, um, I understand the challenges and I just, you know, I want to find a way to make that experience a little less painful. And yeah. so finding what we've seen for them <laughs> And so for us too, selfishly, but for them, definitely, because I want them to continue to do it because they see the value in it. Um, and I go down some rabbit holes. Yeah. 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 But, um, so again, I'll step off my soapbox for a minute, but I just want, um, those folks listening to know that, uh, for, for most of us who are really passionate about this work and what we do, like, ultimately we want to make sure that we're giving you something that is going to help you meet those needs. So, um, bringing it back. All right. So (laughs) when, when we first 
talked, you were talking about your um, experience with instructional design. And so we have now donned you as an instructional, instructional design Jedi. I mean, that's what we're going <laughs> to call you. So <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Like what are the core tenets of instructional design that educators of all types can use to build successful learning programs? Oh, good. Good question. Well, I was, as I was kind of thinking about this, like I, you know, um, I think like one of the things that I think we can all agree on, and it's pretty obvious is like, um, attention is a prerequisite for learning. And so what I mean by that is you have got to really think about, um, how are you going to capture your audience's attention at the very beginning of a a learning experience and probably even before that learning experience. Like there needs to be good communication coming out prior to the learning experience or a session, um, just so people know what to expect. And Mm. you you need to hook them before they ever even walk through the door. Um, Whether it's mandatory or it's volunteer, that's, that's, uh, it's equally important. Um, But uh, attention only gets you so far. So, you know, we have to have really good ways to grab and, and hold the audience's attention, help them understand what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like if there isn't substance to what you are producing and you haven't been thoughtful in the design of what you're, you're producing, um, you know, you're not going to keep them there uh, that long because adults uh, they don't have time for things that are not going to be relevant and practical. Um, and so we place a huge emphasis on application um, and taking time to really, you know, not just teach about something, but to teach uh, and offer opportunities for practice um, where you can get some feedback. And um, I think the third big thing that's uh, so important when you're designing anything is to just always keep in mind that like a learning event, like a, a meeting or a, you know, a workshop is just a catalyst for learning. It's not, learning does not occur and application does not occur just in the classroom or through mm-hmm. a self-paced course. Like there has to be some thoughtful follow-up pr- plan. Um, you know, we, we know uh, that there's this thing called the forgetting curve. And so, you know, the moment that information comes in, uh, from the moment it comes in, like there is, uh, you know, attrition starts. And so you, and then it gets, it gets like pretty, it's a pretty steep drop off from, you know, within an hour of encountering new information. Yeah. Like you've got too many things going on, uh, you know, an uh, hour, huh? I'll, yeah. Within an I'll hour shoot for that. You're uh, seeing yeah. all these facial expressions. Cause I feel like sometimes Arian lives on the forgetting curves. So. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> is there ever not a forgetting curve? I mean, mm-hmm. I want to go there. <laughs> yeah, no, but there is, uh, like using space learning, um, you know, a, uh, a space learning kind of mindset of, okay, what can we do to boost um, or to bring this uh, material back up in the future, whether that's through discussions as a team um, or, you know, even short videos or podcasts or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can keep the information in fresh and, and alive. And, mm. and doing those, dropping those out, kind of dripping them out over time is just one other way to make sure that people actually take what they learned and they put it into practice because at the end of the day like if if we haven't 
got people to got to the place where we're changing mindsets, changing behaviors, like actually getting some application of the knowledge and skills, we've we've probably missed the mark yeah. in doing like <laughs> Totally. I, I like when you were saying this, I'm thinking, I mean, minus the fact that I already forgot what you said. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was thinking about, you know, when I was first trying to learn, you know, about the water treatment process at our treatment plant. And, you know, day one, I was asked to give a tour <laughs> and I had never even stepped foot in that thing. Um, but you can tell me how the process works or give me that brochure all day long. But until I threw myself out there and mm-hmm. went through the process with you, experienced it myself, exactly. um, it, nothing really would sink in. And so, um, we used that to, that's why, that's when we expanded it to, from like the kids learn the kids coming to those treatment plants to adults coming um, because we found that adults were just as excited as the kids were to learn about this process and the bigger picture of their water system. And so um, that's how we immediately started creating ambassadors um, who vouched for everything we did, who never questioned, you know, I mean, you should always question government, but who never fought against us, you know, when we said we have these big projects coming in because they understood like, okay, there was a lot of time that- right energy money that goes into this. And I went through this and, and one of our biggest ambassadors, um, he was the preacher at a local church. Uh, he's now the mayor of the city. Uh, so that was kind of a cool, and he still talks about his tour at the, at the treatment plant and he's cool. a huge proponent of, of the water utility. And I just, I think that is like exactly what people need to embody, um, when they're talking about adult learning or trying to do adult learning programs. And one of the things that I think is really important to remember when, to her point about when we do those tours is not only showing people the process of how everything works and how water gets cleaned and yada, yada, yada. But during that time, those folks also get to interact with the people there. And so um, I took a leadership tour or a leadership group through a tour of the water treatment plant. And sure, they were like, cool. That's how our water gets treated. But more so they were like, wow, the water department is super passionate about what they do. And that's so important for people to know. Were we wearing like pom-poms and like running around and cheering, doing actual, yes, like you actually were, you know, but you know, we were just a little passionate about it. I didn't have pom-poms, but yeah. And that's um, a good point though, too, like ex- there's nothing that replaces in terms of learning, like nothing replaces the value of having good experience and mm-hmm. like, uh, and also the other thing that I think sometimes we forget is that learning is a social process. It's not just something that happens in our heads, um, you know, individually, it's a social process. Like it's that transfer from one of information from one person to another and internalization and, and like we're social creatures. And so our learning, you know, is, is through meeting and relationship and tribe building, to be honest. Um, There's some very, you know, there's a lot of relationships in learning. So it's uh, like everything you said is not a surprise. Like it, it totally impacts how people people learn and um, yeah, and building relationships is, is incredibly important in learning. So can I ask you a rogue question? You may not know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> <Ruh-roh>. 
Well, you're going to test out that PhD now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about the PhD. So now I'm less worried. Uh, okay. So you talked about the forgetting curve and I wondered if you had any stats, numbers, whatever around this idea of, of, uh, like habit, like habit forming or behavior change. Cause behavior change is obviously a hu- the end goal for us as mm-hmm. educators. So like, and that's a really hard thing. That's a, that's a, the long game. You know, like some people may be really inspired and instantly change something that they're doing. Hopefully that continues. But can you talk to us a little bit about like habit forming and behavior change and how to measure that or like see success? Yeah, sure. Well, um, it just so happens that uh, one of the 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 areas that I kind of looked into was um it's called tiny habits. It's uh, their researcher is from Stanford. His name's BJ Fogg. And um, I'm a huge fan of, of his work. He does a lot of work kind of in health behavior change, but I think there's just a ton of uh, applicability to, to any um, field. But one thing that he really, you know, talks about that just is really critical or crucial for success is um, not trying to make, you know, like significant changes, but like more so targeting incremental change over time. And, um, you know, if we want to get change behaviors, you know, like get people to recycle more, you know, it really just means that we need to get them to take one step that gets them closer to recycling. That's not going to be like a huge hindrance on their life. Um, because when people encounter friction, uh, they, they'll stop like that. That is like the number one barrier to habit formation and, um, and ultimately behavior change. And so trying to figure out how to create kind of frictionless steps to get people like small steps that will help move people or nudge them in the right direction is just so critical. And so that's where a lot of just thoughtful follow-up comes uh, in the design of learning, I think, is like really being thoughtful about what's the ask and knowing that each person may have like a different first step. Um, you know, everybody's going to be at a different place and being really open to designing the learning experience so that you're meeting them where they're at and asking them, not asking them to make this huge jump, but you're asking them to make something that is very sustainable in terms of a jump. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so coming that. back to that idea of empathy and remembering where people are at and yeah, that's yeah. a really important message to hear because for those of us who have been doing this work for any amount of time, we forget what it was like on that first day before we were, you know, full believers. And uh, so now when you say don't turn the water off when you're brushing your teeth, you're like, yes, and, but also do this. But, you know, someone may just be at that step of doing that. Right. And, you know, exactly. at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, on your website, you had mentioned how you bring your insight about art and science um, of learning to bear, we consider ourselves uh, at the confluence of art and science in our own field. I want to know um, why bridging these dis- disciples, yeah, <laughs> disciplines of art and science together are so important to learning and inspiring change. Yeah, uh, you're going to take us to church there for a second. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can go to church. Yeah. It's a water church here. Uh, Hallelujah. I, so I think that, you know, when I, when we say that and like, I, I, yes, there is 
learning is a science. Like there are, you know, best practices and principles that will help to promote learning under certain conditions. But at the end of the day, we're also working with with people and people um, are messy uh, and how we learn is messy. Um, and the context where we learn is, you know, adds a, a messiness to it. And so that's where I think the art comes in and you've got to, you know, like artists are constantly like just taking a fresh perspective on something, you know, in their, their world and really bringing like their genius and their creativity to, to that situation. And I think it's, I think it's that balance between like, um, you know, using the best principles for and best practices for learning and, you know, ultimately bringing like that, you know, like bringing that artistic kind of flair to it, to make mm -hmm. it creative, to, to bring it to life, give it a soul, um, because learning yeah. should be engaging and fun. And um, yeah, and, and that doesn't happen when you just read the, the bare list of principles or best practices uh, in the literature. So true. We have um, on our LLC side, we pride ourselves that, you know, she and I are the water nerds um, that will bridge that that translation gap or whatever, but it's really, really important to us to not bring in um, people from the industry to be the designers and stuff, but, but to bring the experts from the advertising and marketing world who are geniuses, like you say, in their own right, and bring them in to give us that fresh perspective. I can't tell you how many times our creative team has been like, okay, ladies, there's enough water drops. I'm going to take those out and do this. And we're like, Hey, for that end user, you know, so. Well, I love yeah. that you say, give it a soul. Like, I, I love that because love that. for me, yeah. now I, I understand you. that we, the water nerds, we bring the heart and our artists bring the soul. Yes. And I think you need both of them to really yeah. make that impact that you're looking for. And to your point, when you talked about hooking them, you only hook them if you inspire them and what better right. way to do that through art. So. Absolutely. But I also love that that this really gives a lot of um, validation and credence to us who, I mean, our industry is, is very, uh, it's engineering, it's mathematics, it's science. And so for, when you talk about communication and learning and things that are deemed as soft skills, uh, it's just, no, there's a lot of science to, mm -hmm. to, to this as well. And um, I think the two pair well together. Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't Brene Brown, I'm just remembering something. I, sometimes my forgetful curve comes back, comes back. Um, but I do think that it was a Brene Brown and she said that storytelling was data with a soul. Did I nail yes. that? Yes, you did. I love it. Did. I love it. I love it. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. let's, uh, end with some nuts and bolts here. Cause this okay. was one of the most important questions I wanted to ask you, knowing that so many of us are tasked with teaching both run the gamut, all ages and demographics and such. What are some of the biggest misconceptions there are out there about adult learning? And then what are some ways we can do it better? Yeah. Well, I'd say one misconception is that, you know, because everybody's been to school, <laughs> um, high school, or maybe even college, or, you know, some form of, of post-secondary education like that, we're all 
experts uh, at uh, what what it means to learn and uh, what effective learning looks like. And I can almost certainly tell you, like, I'm sure I had some fabulous teachers and I, I'm, I know I learned a lot from uh, from many of those teachers about what, you know, effective teaching and learn, you know, learning looks like. But at the end of the day, uh, when, when we're designing learning for adults, and especially if we're doing like consumer education or outreach and, and education, like it's a different ball game because we are we are competing now for the mind their mind space and we can't approach it in exactly the same way that we did with classroom education that was compulsory like you are going to sit in the seat and um, yeah I think that that's so important for you to to keep in mind is like and it goes back to what I said earlier is like, you've got to catch their interest. You've got to find ways to hook them early and keep them with you and, and make sure you've got substance. It's going to justify the investment of their time. And I snacks. Awesome. What's that? I said in snacks. And snacks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, never hurts to also have a drawing for something. Uh, <laughs> gift cards can go a long way. Uh I, you know, the other thing that I think is a huge misconception is that, like, um, you're working with a blank slate, um, you know, and that is definitely not true when it comes to adult learners. You are working with someone who has years of experience doing something a certain way, um, and you uh, and they also, they, they think that they know how or, or why they're doing things a certain way. And so you've got to be really respectful of the experience, the baggage that they bring into the learning experience and recognize that like you may also need to do some unlearning um, mm. of bad habits or bad, you know, or uh, unlearning of misconceptions, to be honest, um, in order to create that space uh, where the where they have the need to fill, fill the gap, you know, between what they have been doing and, and the better way that you're trying to, to show them. Mm, so to do a, a cross, a cross section of that with some of the work that we talk about, we work with a neuroscience researcher who focuses on storytelling. His name mm -hmm. is Kendall Haven. And he talks kind of about the, the baggage he calls uh, the banks of the banks of prior knowledge. Yeah. And so for us, the same thing happens when communicating. We all have these different kind of banks of prior knowledge. And so the way that we interpret things that we hear or, or are communicated to us, we interpret differently because of those different perceptions. And that to your point about the gaps for us, when we're communicating, if we're not filling in those gaps, they're going to just take something from that bank of previous knowledge and plug it in to fill that gap. And who knows what that might be and if it's exactly. accurate. And so just another reason why clarity is so important in making sure that um, we're not leaving those gaps because yeah. for whatever reason, our brains tend to be a little negative. And so when we do fill in those gaps, they, they, they skew a little more negative versus, oh yeah, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Like that very exactly. rarely happens. <laughs> exactly. Nice. So true. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for yes. going down some, some tangents with us, <laughs> but before question. we let you go, uh, we just had one more question that we asked. We asked this question of all of our guests and I'll give a little context. As you know, Ariane and I did public education communication. And so a mm -hmm. lot of times we would have people say, 
you know, well, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. I'm not going to make a, a significant impact. And of course, we wholeheartedly disagree with that because we believe that change can be contagious and you never know what your choices may inspire in others. And um, so what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you think could ultimately change the world? Oh, man. <laughs> I I just think investing in other people and investing in the, in their capacity as, uh, you know, a citizen, an employee, Mm -hmm. like what a, what a way to just demonstrate like how much you care, uh, you know, and I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of the organizations that we work with, like, it's about, it making an investment that demonstrates like, I care about you and I want to help you develop to be your best, the best version of yourself, or I want to help our consumers, you know, understand and be the best version of themselves. And, and so I I think like shifting the mindset from like just delivering information to people and really thinking about it, like a true investment in others is like, such an important mindset to have as an educator, public educator, teacher, you know, trainer, who, whatever you call yourself. Um, it's just so, so important. Mm, I love I that. Mean, it's, That's the essence of catalyst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, it's super cliche, but knowledge is power. And so, mm-hmm. you know, investing in people to make them more informed really is empowering them to be their best selves. So yeah. I agree. I agree with your call. Like that one. Yeah. Nice. Well, I passed I, the test. You passed yeah. the test. You can come okay. back. Um, okay. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us about a topic that's really important to, to all three of us and really appreciate that. And as always, thank you for letting us continue to work with Tobin. <laughs> <laughs> We're oh, glad that we great. get to, we grew, a, we, we grew a family with yeah. Vivek. So thank you yep. for that. But, um, thanks for taking the time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, all the members of our listening community. The Water in Real Life podcast is a Rogue Water Lab original. It's hosted by the H2 duo. That's us, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. It's produced by Rogue Water Lab, 12 Midnight and Matt Black Sound. Sound design and music by Andre Black and Matt McNeil of Matt Black Sound. For more Water in Real Life, check out our YouTube channel and sign up for our lab notes. You can find both at roguewaterlab.org.